Welcome everyone, and we are here with Ashley Jablo of the Wayfinder Collective. Oh, well, it's so wonderful to be here with both of you. I'm a big fan of the show. My business is called Wayfinders Collective. I think of it as a creative launching pad for anyone who wants to create a work life that they love. So much of my story is discovering that reality that I have the power and potential to design a work life and a real life that I love. Um, I started my career in the nonprofit sector. I've always been very mission-driven, impact-driven, and I'll admit I've also been a, a high achiever. And so often in the beginning of my career, that looked like trying to find the, the biggest, baddest job I could get. You know, what was the brand name that people would recognize? What was the organization I could do the most good with? And that really did lead me to some really incredible places, um, including working in the Obama administration as a presidential innovation fellow. Really have had a wonderful opportunity to use my design thinking and innovation skills in service of some really important missions. But I'll acknowledge that the more I moved through my career and outwardly had all the signs of success, inwardly the less aligned and fulfilled. I got to a point where I really felt like my work life and my real life were getting further and further apart. And that experience of kind of disintegration led me to start working with a coach to really examine who I am and who I want to be in my life and um, the impact that I personally want to have. And that work with a coach led me to finding what I thought was my dream job. I was so excited. I felt like, you know, I have arrived. If you've ever had that experience of landing that job, I have arrived. And wouldn't you know it, 10 months later, I got laid off um, from my dream job. I've, I've come to see that the universe works in mysterious ways. And I can see now that it was a real gift. But at the time, it felt like the carpet was pulled out from underneath me. And thinking back on the, the work that I had done with my coach, as well as the, the education and the training and practical experience I'd had in the world of design thinking, I figured, you know what, I'm going to create a design sprint for my life. By extension, when you design a work life you love, I believe you're designing every part of your life that you love. Of course, how that business now looks today, what the work is, how I express that purpose, it's all evolving. But we are all wayfinders and I hope to create that community and that sensibility with everyone I work with and meet. Ashley, that's absolutely gorgeous. And there are so many treasures in what you said in how you shared your story. One of them is when you spoke of that contrast or incoherence between your outer and your inner. And then that magical moment on the hero's journey when the carpet gets pulled from under your feet. And I always tell people when that happens and it feels like, oh my gosh, you know, what is this, a detour? So I typically say to people, when you're creating something better than what you imagine, this is literally part of the process. And, and that's very much uh, your experience. It ended up guiding you into what you're doing today. And thank you for your story. It's beautiful. And, and Wayfinders is definitely a way of life and who we are. Oh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You know, if I can just build on, on something you said, the thing that I'm realizing about transition 
And I think about my experience, you know, five years ago when I, I was going through this first transition, I think about it now as, as we're going through so many transitions and I'll, I'll just acknowledge even in my own life, um, in my work, I feel another transition kind of coming on. The thing I've realized is, you know, we think about transition as the in-between from a starting point to the end point you know, almost like a trapeze, right? Like I, the, the transition is the swing from one side of the trapeze to another. And it occurred to me recently that it's actually the, the inverse, if that makes sense. The transition is the point, right? The transition is the experience that we should be savoring and appreciating. And unfortunately, because it's so uncomfortable, you know, there's so much ambiguity and uncertainty and nobody likes to sit in that. We want to rush through the transition. You know, we want to swing from one end to the other as quickly as we can. And I've been trying to play with it in my own experience that the transition is actually not to be rushed. And oh boy, it's uncomfortable, but, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. When we're running around this extreme environment of Silicon Valley, you often hear words like grit and sacrifice and hundred hour work weeks and just, you know, fully um, bought in. As you're describing the process, I can't help but think practically speaking, we live in, a, and again, I recognize I'm making comments that are from an extreme environment, but I believe the average house in our area is over a million dollars, you know, and you've got to keep up, right? And so so oftentimes uh, what's pulling at your heartstrings can feel incongruent with the practicalities of mortgages and kids and, you know, the, just, the, just the pressures of adult modern life. And I'm curious if you can just respond to that, you know, how, how do you, um, you create an openness to people that might think of what you're saying like sounds great but but couldn't couldn't possibly do that given that my passion may not be aligned with recognition from society on what that pays or you know things of that nature so i'm just wondering if you could respond to the some of the practical resistance that people might show you i'll say the first thing that comes up as i'm listening to what you say is the difference between things being easy and being idle and let me explain what I mean. So I, I don't live in Silicon Valley now, but I, I grew up in Palo Alto. Um, my, my grandfather was one of the first employees at Hewlett Packard, actually. So I like to think that, you know, the, the Silicon Valley experience kind of runs through my veins. And that's both a gift and a privilege and also a challenge because I'm programmed, if you will, to be on the go and to, to work hard and to be busy. And in fact, I was very fortunate to go to an all-girls school for middle school and high school and, and learned a lot. And it was so important and transform, transformative in who I am today. And I also, in that moment experience, I internalized that if I don't want to be the first woman president of the United States and cure cancer at the same time, then like there's something wrong with me. And I think so much of my career has actually been about unlearning that programming and really starting to inspect it and and to question you know does working hard have to be part of my experience in order for me to be successful 
right? Just even acknowledging like that maybe not, maybe I don't have to work so hard to be successful. Similarly, I'm in a point in my business right now where it's sort of a lull in my client work. And I've really been bumping up against uh, a belief I'm realizing that I have that if I'm not busy, then I'm not valuable, right? And so I've been playing with this idea of I want my work to be easy. I want my expression of my gifts and my talents to come easily to me. And that that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm sitting around and being idle or even being lazy, right? Um, It's really interesting to begin to unpack um, or even just investigate, notice that we have these inner monologues running that say, you know, well, it's great that you can go and, and, you know, express your purpose in the world and make money, but that's not available to me, right? That's a belief I held for a really long time. And, and so I, I get it. So I guess, Chris, the first thing I'll say is I want to acknowledge I get that and, and I've, I've experienced it myself and I hear it in um, my coaching clients, even with some of the organizations I work with. And so what I, I would say is that, you know, this is a lifelong journey. This is a lifelong process. You know, if you think about it like crossing, a, you know, a stream, right? A babbling brook with rocks that, that are, um, you know, in between you and the landing across the stream. You know, you can't jump from here to there right away. Um, it's not, I don't think, realistic um, that if I'm really unhappy in my work today that I can immediately jump into something that's going to be 150% fulfilling for, for my soul and my bank account, right? Um, but I do think that just like crossing a river, we go, you know, we take the step to one stone and then we kind of assess, we get our balance, we take the step to the next stone. And actually, as we move across that river, our end point might change. And that's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, that's one of even the tenets of, of using design and design thinking um, and, and taking that kind of designer's mindset is that we know that the, the end goal may shift as we learn more, as we try more. And so my advice is to just get started, right? To, um, to take that first step into the river, right? To, to land, get your balance on that first stone, pick your head up, look around and say, okay, what is the next right step? What is the next right stone? And over time, you work closer and get closer to the work that's fulfilling and meaningful for you. But it's not a magic wand kind of thing. I wish it were. Ashley, I'd love to hear if you have a process that you could take us through. Absolutely. Yeah. So this actually builds very nicely, I think, uh, on the idea of like for someone who's really stuck, you know, when we feel stuck, whether it's in in work or in in an aspect of our life, it's really hard to pick our head up and and kind of see things from a different perspective or different vantage point. One of the things that um, I think can help, particularly for someone who feels stuck and isn't sure how to get started, is to think about how we can break a problem or a challenge into its component parts to really solve for different variables, right? So it's very different if I say, God, you know, I just like, I hate my job and I feel really stuck. 
it's that's different from saying like, well, you know, actually I'm, I don't feel like there's room to grow, right? Those are two different challenges. And, and one is, is more generative perhaps than just saying I feel stuck. So the, the, the offering I want to share with everyone today is what I call the secret formula for change. I didn't come up with this. It's a formula that was created actually in the 50s, I believe. It has very simple math, so I'm not a math person, so it's math I can understand. <laughs> so for people listening, it might be easiest if you grab a piece of paper and a pen um, to just jot this quick equation down, okay? So the equation is A times B times C is greater than D, okay? So A times B times C is greater than D. So let me explain what these variables are. When you're working through a challenge, you likely have some kind of sense of dissatisfaction, okay? So A represents your current level of dissatisfaction. B represents the future state you're working towards. So what is that end point, that North Star? C is the path to get there. So how do you, how do you get to, to be to that North Star? And D is the status quo or the opportunity cost of change. What, are, what is the risk? What are you giving up? Okay, so let me put this into really practical terms and then I'll explain how you can use this when you're working through a transition or change in your career. So on a very practical level, think about your, you're thinking about getting a new car, okay? Say you drive a really junky car so, and, and, and you hate it. So A, the variable A, your current level of dissatisfaction is super high. I really hate my car. Now B, the future state I'm working towards, I know what kind of car I want to buy. I know exactly the make and model. I'm like, I, that's what I want. So B is super clear, right? C is the path to get there. I know how to buy a car. I either walk into a dealership, maybe I buy it online, but it's really obvious how to resolve like where I am to where I wanna get to with this car. And all of that taken together as multipliers will outweigh the opportunity cost of making the change. Like, ugh, I've gotta go to the DMV and re-register a new car, that stinks. But that doesn't, like stink as badly as continuing to drive this junker, right? So when A, B, and C outweigh D, then change comes easily, right? Then change is what I think of as like a no-brainer. Now, if we're talking about in your career, right? Um, or I think about it really in terms of any change initiative that you're trying to, to take on, whether it's at work or you know, getting your partner to help do the dishes at the end of dinner. It could be anything, right? If you start to isolate the change according to these elements, you start to think about your current level of dissatisfaction, the future state you're working towards, the path to get there, and the risk or the cost of making the change, it starts to become really clear what's not working or what needs to be resolved. So I'll say for my part, I've used this equation when I've started to think about, you know, there are things that I'd like to really implement or build in my business and I'm just feeling stuck and like I'm not getting any traction. And what I realized is that actually I'm not particularly dissatisfied with the, the status quo. So A in, in the case for me wasn't very high 
And, and that was really useful intelligence then to be able to say, well, maybe this change isn't actually what I want because I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way things are, right? So I would really encourage people to, to take some time and consider what are these um, elements of the change equation you're trying to solve for, right? Um, and examine how much do you know about these variables? How strong are they? Do they outweigh the cost of making the change? Um, and for anyone who's interested in going deeper into this, I've actually created an entire um, workbook around the secret formula for change with activities that help you isolate and understand each of these variables for the change that you're trying to, um, to implement or that you're seeking. And I'm happy to share uh, how people can find that um, if, if that's of interest. Because I think it's one thing to talk about these variables. It's another to actually sit down and say, okay, how, how dissatisfied am I? Or do I even know where I'm going? I just know that I'm dissatisfied, right? So hopefully that's useful for people. I do have a deeper question on B, and that is, as you describe your story, and I'm curious with some of the people that you've worked with, a lot of people I talk to kind of generically know the B, like they, they know some things that they're passionate about, but it's not quite clear to them what B is. It just, you know, that they just directionally have some interest areas, but maybe they haven't refined that down, or maybe the world hasn't teed it up to them in the perfect way. Like, hey, I just happened to look on LinkedIn and there was the exact job that was my beat. So I'm curious what guidance you give people who are struggling to, to sort of refine or even define what B is. Mm, yeah, it's, it's such a great question. And, and it's a toughie. It's a toughie, right? And if I had, if I had a, a way to immediately help everyone solve, you know, what is the end goal? boy, um, I'd be in business, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so the, the, the place where I like to encourage people to start is less about the exact end point and more about how I want to feel when I get there. Now, some people are not into like the feeling word, um, you know, so thinking about whether it's how you want to feel, um, how you want to be, um, what you want to experience in your body or in your being, I think that is a much more generative place than to say, well, what should I do with myself, right? Like I'm unhappy here, so what should I do? I think of it kind of like building a house. We often say if, if we're building a house, we want to make decisions like how many stories are on the house? You know, what direction are the windows facing? You know, what's the paint in the bathroom? Um, but really, if you haven't laid a foundation, there's really no house to be, to be you know, um, to build, right? And so I think of being, examining how we want to be, how we want to experience our lives, what we want to feel like as the foundation of the house. I think that's really important because my observation is people tend to have a preemptive surrender to their desire and whether it's the right to have ambition or re have really what they really, really, really want. And so I find that a way to ease them through it is exactly what you're talking about. There needs to be an embodied component into their imagination, which is really step into it and have you know, let yourself imagine what that is going to be like. What will it feel like? All of the senses that you described 
And I find that it really calms down the nervous system and there's then an ability to imagine maybe even more and even more till they finally get to the thing <laughs> that really gets exciting. Because that bee, that excitement better carry you through the, you know, for the, you know, what makes that equation really work is that desire's got to really carry you through the, <laughs> through the opportunity cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and let's just acknowledge it, it's a risk too. It's a risk to be honest and use your imagination and, and wish for a different experience for yourself. And, you know, this is when I, I really encourage people to consider either working formally with a coach or finding, you know, a pod of friends who all want to work through this, these kinds of questions together. But practicing being honest is, it's like a muscle. And so many of us are conditioned to um, push away and push down what we know is true about ourselves and what we know is true about how we want to, how we want to live our lives, how we want to feel in our lives. And that is the work that, that we must do if we're going to get to a place where we can make decisions that actually make us happy, right? That actually feel fulfilling and aligned with our values. And, and I know this from very personal experience because I, like I said, so much of my, you know, the first 15 years of my career, uh, I was driven by what, what I think is the quote unquote right decision and I realized I knew nothing about what was right for me when it all came down to it. It was right for everyone else, but not for me. And it was only once I started getting really honest about how I want to feel in my life and how I want to be in my life that I was then able to start being brave, even in baby prototyping steps to actually do and make decisions in ways that were aligned with how I wanted to be. When you're working with your clients, can you shed some light having not been through it with you? Where do people get stuck? What, like, what are the most common sticking areas and how do you help them through? People tend to get stuck in a couple of places. The first is, boy, those inner critics of ours love to rage. And they're such companions of ours that we don't even recognize they're there. And so helping my clients really just even notice like, oh, Someone else has just entered the conversation. Who is this that's here, right? This isn't Susie. This is Susie's inner critic. And what is Susie's inner critic trying to tell us right now? So people get stuck um, because we, we have a really hard time believing that what we wish for could actually happen. And we're so conditioned to, like I said, to push away what we're wishing for because we just don't believe it's possible. So helping my clients identify their inner critics and start to question, is that really true? Is like priority number one. I think the other place that I see people get stuck is that this feels really big, right? It just feels overwhelming. You know, when I'm trying to navigate my ship, so to speak, in a new direction, it's like a huge cruise liner that's really hard to turn. And one of the things that I love about using design thinking and these kinds of tools and mindsets in this sort of moment 
is that so much of that work requires us to be visual and to get it out of our head and onto paper in some way, whether it's a post-it or you know a big piece of butcher paper, whatever it is. And um, I think people get stuck because it feels too big. And I would encourage everyone, if you feel stuck as well, to think about how can you get this out of your head and in, onto a piece of paper or onto a post-it that you can move around. Once it, it gets out of our head, we can kind of stop ruminating about it and we can start actually problem solving. We can start designing, right? And, and suddenly the energy shifts, it's much more generative. I really try to focus on those two areas, helping people understand and identify their inner critics. And then just like, let's let's get this off your shoulders, right? Take the burden off, take the backpack off, and let's actually design with it to see the opportunity here. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you for taking us through these two processes, actually, and, and telling us more about your journey and the Wayfinders Collective. I'm so happy to be part of this growing community and, and really appreciate you inviting me on today. Thank you.